Scripture reading will come today from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. John chapter 9, 1 through 41. And we'll continue in our series in the Gospel of John. We are in the ninth chapter, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 41. Let's rise. This is the word of the Lord. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with, his, with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you said was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I, was born, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John 9, the passage or the chapter that we've just read, is uh, not just about Jesus uh, performing a miracle, but John 9 is a sign. Now, if you recall uh, throughout our series in John, uh, the author, he prefers to use the word sign because these supernatural acts or these miracles performed by Jesus are not an end in themselves, but they are a sign that points to a greater reality. So, for instance, we saw, you know, many months ago, John 2, Jesus turns water into wine. Why does he do this? Is it because Jesus wants to be, you know, the life of the party? No. He does this as a sign to point to the fact, to point to the truth that the king of the world has come. He has come, and he is bringing joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Or in John 6, when Jesus feeds 5,000 men with five loaves of bread, why does he do this act? Why does he do this miracle? Miracle. You see, it was plain that there were more than 5,000 hungry people in Palestine But Jesus performs this specific act as a sign to point to the reality that Jesus is and was the bread of life. Remember, Jesus does not perform miracles as an end in themselves, but he does these acts to point to a greater reality. He's teaching the people something. Now, in today's passage, Jesus, he opens the eyes of the blind. Why does he open the eyes of the blind? Well, he wants to point to the truth that he is, as we find in verse 5, the light of the world. Now, I know for many of us, uh, we are familiar with Jesus' sayings. His uh, aphorisms are are quite common and familiar to us. And, you know, for, for that reason, maybe we don't give too much thought to what Jesus is saying. But what does this mean, I am the light of the world? Well, light can represent a few things. Uh, they, they uh, light metaphorically uh, in the Bible can represent a few things, right? It can represent knowledge or truth, right? Uh, it can represent revelation as something that reveals or brings things out into the open. Uh, light also uh, represents holiness, goodness, purity, uh, morality. But most of all, as we look in John, 
Light is used to symbolize life. Light and light are used interchangeably throughout John. In fact, and if you really think about it, you actually can't have life without light, right? The absence of light means that there's the absence of life, right? And, and John seems to play upon this universal language. If we just look in John 1.4, in the prologue, John begins this way, in Jesus, or in him, was life, and the life was the light of men. Also in John 8, in, in the earlier chapter, we, we, we find that Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we see this light and life language being used. When Jesus, he says, I am the light of the world, he's in essence pointing to the fact that he is the life of the world. He is the essence and the source and the giver of life. And so this miracle that Jesus performs in John 8 of opening the eyes of the blind is actually a sign pointing to the reality that this world presently is in darkness, and now Jesus comes to shed light, to give light, or to give life to us. This is why Jesus performs this miracle. Now, we find uh, after Jesus performs this miracle, there are three different responses. And this morning, I just want to go through these three responses quickly and see how people respond to Jesus, how people respond to Jesus being the light of the world. And the three people, that three responses we'd like to look at are the responses from the Pharisees of the Jews, the response from the parents, and the response from the blind person himself. So first, the Pharisees, how do they respond? It's interesting uh, because, you know, John, he doesn't just talk about how Jesus performs this miracle, but he goes into, you know, what happens afterwards, how people are responding. And it's interesting how the Pharisees are responding to this. So the Pharisees, they, they see that this man was born blind, and so this, this man who was born blind was healed, and so they call him. They call him, and they ask him questions. What happened? Who is this man? Tell me the story. Then they call the parents. Hey, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? And then after they question the parents, they call the man back again. And they ask him the same set of questions. What did he do? How did he open your eyes? And all along this man, the first and the second time, he is bearing witness to the fact that Jesus opened my eyes. He's saying, Jesus opened my eyes. And the Pharisees, they can't understand. They don't get it. You see, John is making the point that the people who are actually blind, those who are really blind, is not the blind man, but it's actually the Pharisees, right? Jesus is in front of them. He is plain. The sign is pointing clearly to the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. But because they are in darkness, because they are refusing to accept Jesus, they are the ones who are actually blind. You see, notice the irony in, in, the, in the conversation. You know, the, these Pharisees keep saying, oh, we know we know, we know this man is a sinner. We know that God spoke to Moses. We know, we know, we know. But the truth is, these people actually don't know. 
They're in ignorance. They're in darkness. They are blind. You know, that's the difference. If you think about spiritual blindness as opposed to physical blindness, those who are physically blind, they know that they're blind. But spiritual blindness, those who are spiritually blind, don't know that they are blind. And this, friends, this church, is a real dangerous spiritual condition that the Bible talks about. The Bible talks about how we can be around Jesus. We can witness the works of Jesus. We can hear the testimonies. We can see all of these things, yet we can still fail to see Jesus. We can still be blind to Jesus. I mean, have you ever lost something, right, and you were looking for it frantically? You know, something that you lose quite often, maybe your keys or your sunglasses, your phone, or maybe your kids, right? You lost them. You can't find them, right? And, and you know, it's right there in front of you, but you keep missing it. You keep missing it. You know, years ago, or, or a year ago, there was this article on the Times about finding missing keys. Apparently, it's, it's something that we all do. We keep losing it, right? And, and this article actually um, referenced a book. It's a book called How to Find Lost Items. It's written by a man named Michael Solomon. I was going to bring the book here today, but I misplaced it. <laughs> but the book lists principles uh, the, the author said, okay, this is, you know, we, we, we lose things often, and these are some principles that would help us uh, into retrieving things that we lose. And the second principle is quite interesting. He says this, the item is not lost. You are the one that's lost. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what this author is getting at with this spiritual blindness versus physical blindness. You know, when we are spiritually blind... We don't know that we're blind. And you know, you know I, I, think, I think this is a, um, it, it's much more common than we would want it to be. You know, there was, a, there was, in fact, you know, a period in the history of the church, about 500 years, and I, I don't want to generalize, but for the most part, for 500 years, the entire church was in darkness during the Middle Ages. The entire culture during that time, in the East and the West, it was Christian. Many associated themselves with the church. Um, they, they went to mass, they did the sacraments, they did all of these things. But for 500 years, the entire population, countries and countries, missed Jesus entirely. It is quite possible. I mean, Jesus himself talks about in Matthew 7, right? When Jesus appears, what do people say to him? Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name and do that in your name? And what does Jesus respond? How does he respond? I don't know who you are. He responds, I don't know who you are because the people, they've missed Jesus entirely. You know, this, this, this story, this, this spiritual condition of the Pharisees that we find all throughout the scriptures, and it reminds me of someone uh, particular. It reminds me of Jonah. Do you guys know who Jonah is? He's a, a prophet in the Old Testament. And this prophet, uh, he, he disobeys God. God calls him to go to Nineveh to preach, 
And he decides that he's going to disobey God, and he goes to Tarshish instead. He goes the opposite way. And what happens, he gets thrown overboard, he gets swallowed up by a large fish. And in chapter 2 of Jonah, he starts praying. And what does he pray? He says, God, you are a God who hears prayer. And he prays, repenting, seeking forgiveness. And he says things like, salvation belongs to God. You brought me up from the pits. You are a merciful God. You are a compassionate God. And he prays all of these things. And what happens? He gets saved. And then after he gets saved, he finally obeys God. He goes to Nineveh. And the Ninevites, they repent. He preaches this message, and they respond the exact same way. And the Lord He saves the entire city. But how does Jonah respond? He gets angry. He gets angry with God. And you know, the readers were left wondering, wait, what's going on here? Right? Jonah just had experienced forgiveness and the grace of God while he was in the belly of the fish. He prayed, God, you hear prayers, you are a compassionate God, and he becomes saved. But he preaches the exact same message, and when he sees the exact same thing happen, he becomes angry. It's as if Jonah was blind. It's as if he did not understand his own message. Jonah is missing the entire point. You know, it is quite possible, friends, to think that we are around Jesus, to think that we are doing the Lord's work, but still be spiritually blind. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about it in, in his work, The Great Divorce. He says this, there have been men before now who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself. There have been some who were so occupied in spreading Christianity that they never gave a thought to Christ. Man, you see it in smaller manners. Did you ever know a lover of books that with all of his first editions and signed copies had lost the power to read them? Or an organizer of charities that had lost all love for the poor? It is the subtlest of all the snares. No. Jesus himself, as he comes as the light of the world, as that which the people had waited and longed for, he appears, and what happens? John 1, 9 to 10 tells us, the true light which give light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him or recognize him. The first response that we see from the Jews is that they see Jesus They recognize the miracles. They see the signs. They hear the witness. But what happens? They're still blind. They refuse to come into the light. The second response that we see is um, from that of the parents. If the Pharisees were blind, if they rejected the light, the parents in today's passage, how do they respond? They respond out of fear. See, when the Pharisees call the parents, they're pressed. The parents are pressed with answering the questions of who this fellow Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And how did your son get well? And the parents, what do they say? They say, yes, he is my son. But regarding how he got well, you have to ask him. And the narrator, John, he tells us why. 
They respond this way because during this time, the Jews had made an agreement. They made an agreement that anyone who professes Christ would be kicked out of the synagogue. They would be kicked out of the community. And so for the parents, while their son had gotten well, they were afraid of the consequences of believing in Jesus, of accepting Jesus, of coming into the light. Friends, this also is quite a a common spiritual state. It's a common spiritual situation. When faced with the truth of the gospel, people become afraid of what that will mean for them. If I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, what does that mean for my life? You know, I, you know, personally speaking, I, I, had, I had experienced this uh, firsthand. At a certain point in my life, when I knew that the claims of the gospel were true, when I heard the good news, and I knew that Jesus had loved me with a powerful love, and I was moved by the good news for the first time, even though I felt it and I knew it, it took some time for me from, get, from going from there to actually making a conscious decision to following Jesus. And the ruling sentiment was fear. I was afraid. I know, of course, now it sounds silly, and it's even something that wasn't worth thinking about. But at that moment, I was afraid. And it took months for me to wrestle with. I, I believe in Jesus and I know that he had loved me, and this is the good news. But going from there to now saying, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus, I was afraid because I was afraid of what it would mean for me and my family. I was afraid for what it would mean for my friends. And again, you know, at this, at this point, at this juncture in my life, it, it, it's, it, that was a, a small, silly moment. But I don't think that this is something unique just to my experience. We see it here in John 9. We see it, um, you probably have experienced it yourself too. For those newly entering into the kingdom, there is a great sense of joy and relief in knowing Jesus. But also there is this feeling of the unknown, a slight fear. What is this going to mean for me? What will people say about me now? And of course, the joy of the gospel is to outweigh all of these fears, but unfortunately, there are still those who are driven away from Christ because of fear, because of what it would mean. You know, C.S. Lewis, again, he, um, in, 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 his, in another work, in the Screwtape Letters, he, he talks about this. He says, you know, what the devil does is that the devil, Satan aims to fill our minds with these contradictory pictures of the future that arises hope and fear. In other words, C.S. Lewis says, you know, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety that blocks our mind from God. What Satan tries to do is he makes us think of the future. He makes us fear the future. And in that way, he blocks our hearts from coming to God. While God wants us to be concerned with the present, making the decision in the moment, Satan is in the business of keeping us thinking about what will happen, 
What will happen if I make this decision? What will happen if I decide to follow Jesus? You know, young people, I think, if, if I can address you, um, I think we are living in uh, quite a similar social context where there's once again this social fear of being associated with Jesus, of being associated with everything about Jesus, with being associated with the church, with being associated with Christianity, with being associated with other Christians or those who profess belief in Jesus. There is this fear. Right? Because, you know, today, in today's social milieu, it, you know, we're told that Christians are narrow-minded, that Christians are intolerant, that Christians are bigoted, that the teachings of the Bible are outdated. And there is, in some sense, a social fear of being associated with Jesus and all the connotations that it has. You know, the point is, do not let the joys of the gospel be outweighed by the fears that we might have of coming to Jesus. We see here that the parents, even in the face of their son getting well, they are driven by fear. They don't know how to respond positively to Christ because of fear. Finally, the third person that we'll look at is the blind person. There are those who are fearful, his parents, and there are those who are blind, the Pharisees. But how does the blind person respond to Jesus' message, to his sign that he is the light of the world? He believes and he worships. You know, I find this story of the blind man encouraging for two reasons. First, two things. Let me just mention two things. First, this man, at one point, he is pressured into denouncing Jesus. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the social leaders of that time, they call this man in and they are pressuring him to denounce Jesus. And he has no idea who Jesus is at this point. He really doesn't know much about Jesus. But what does this man say? He says, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, John 9, 25, though I was blind, now I see. He bears witness to what has happened to him. I was blind, but now I see. That's the only thing I know. You know, he's bearing witness to the truth that he, of, of what he had experienced because of Jesus. That is all. You know, he doesn't have good theology. He doesn't have extensive knowledge of the Bible. But still, in some way, he's actually able to converse with the Pharisees. He's talking with them. And, and there's this really interesting uh, thing that's going on. He's actually making the Pharisees look real stupid. Say, I told you already. I told you. Jesus, he opened my eyes. I told you. This man, he doesn't really know much. He had just encountered Jesus. And he's able to just bear witness, plain and simple. I was blind, but now I see. Another thing that's really encouraging about, that, about this situation is that this man, his entire life, he was born blind, right? His entire life, he was a reject. He was a social reject. He was considered a sinner, and some even considered his parents to be a sinner, right? All throughout his life, what was he? He was a beggar by the temple wall. 
But what happens? He gets healed. Jesus heals him. And finally now, that which had caused him to be a reject, that's gone. That disability is gone. He now can see. But what happens? Because of his belief in Jesus, he gets rejected again. But this man, for some reason, he's not swayed by any of that. He's not phased by any of that. The only thing that his heart is on, the only thing that his mind is on was that he was once blind, but now he sees. You know, I, you know, last night I was putting myself in this man's shoes. What would it be like? What would it be like to be blind and be rejected your entire life, to finally get that disability removed, but because of your profession, but because of your commitment to Christ, you're rejected once again. You know, there's this really cool parallel that's going on. If you, if you remember, um, you know, a while back, we looked at John 5, right? And there's this story about the, the invalid, the, the man who was an invalid for 38 years. Do you guys remember that story? There's this really cool parallel between John 5 and John 9. Both are dealing with uh, these disabilities that make you know, them a reject to society, right? The invalid, uh, as opposed to the blind man, both were healed when? On the Sabbath, right? And both create this kind of response, and, and it goes into this long dialogue. But what happens to these two people? The person in John 5, what does he do? When he gets well, he goes straight into the temple. And what does he do? He tells the Jews, it was Jesus who made me well. Go after him as opposed to this man in John 9. He becomes well, and when the Pharisees question him, he says, Jesus made me well. He believes and he worships. I want for a little, for a little while to look once again at, at what goes on with this blind man. This blind man, he gets questioned by the Pharisees. He says, you know what, I don't know much, but I know that I was blind, but now I see. And, and, then as, and then the Pharisees, they, they, they kick him out. They cast him out in verse 34. And Jesus, after hearing that he was cast out, he finds this blind man again, verses 35 and following. And he asks this, the, the man this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this man says, I don't know who the Son of Man is. Who is this Son of Man? And Jesus says, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. I want to just get into this for a little moment because what happens is this elicits a response. After hearing this, this man, what he does is he says, I believe, and he just bows down. He worships Jesus. And I want to just get into what this means, this son of man. Now, when Jesus is asking, do you know who the son of man is? He's not saying, oh, do you know who the son of man is? He's not asking, um, you know, do you even have any idea what the Son of Man is? He's not asking about the Son of Man, but he's asking, do you know who it is? Because in the Old Testament, there is this prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. This is what the prophecy says. This prophecy is about the Son of Man coming. Daniel seven thirteen and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And what does he do? He comes to the ancient of days, who is God or Jehovah. 
and he was presented before him. And what happens to the Son of Man? To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7, 13 to 14 talks about the Son of Man coming and receiving an eternal kingdom, receiving an eternal kingdom from God himself and everyone coming and bowing down and worshiping him. All the Jews knew this. This was the prophecy for the Messiah, for the end-time king returning. And Jesus goes to this man and he says, do you know who this son of man is? And the blind man says, no, who is he? Jesus says, me. And what does this blind man do? This once blind man, he responds by bowing down, by prostrating himself, and knowing that he is the son of man who had received an eternal kingdom. This blind man, this once blind man, was met with this situation that the ultimate king of the world, that this Messiah, this eternal king, had come to him, an insignificant reject of society, and he had touched this man's life. And this man responds in no other way but belief and worship. You know, I, I think this passage is, is an important one for us today. Because as I mentioned earlier, there are many fears that we deal with today. Fears of following Jesus. What would it be like to follow Jesus? What would that mean for me? Some are just still in darkness. Some are still just blind. And this passage once again reminds us not to lose focus. This man was faced with a host of new problems. He had new fears, new situation. But it seems that this man was just simply focused on this one truth. I was blind, but now I see. Friends, don't ever lose sight of this truth that the ultimate king of the world came to insignificant people like you and I, and he saved us from our sins. Don't ever let this truth go to the peripherals. Jesus died and he rose again for you. He came to you, he heals you, he forgives you, and he sheds light upon you. Don't let the fear of man and the fear of society become bigger in your eyes than what God himself has done for you. You know, this man, as he um, understands who Jesus is, he realizes that this God, that this eternal God had come to him in his insignificant state that the Son of Man 
that this world had longed for and waited centuries for had descended upon him in his lowly state. And he realizes that. And he bows down and he worships. You know, I I know that um, whatever social fears that some of us might have, whatever associations of being Christian that we don't like, being associated with other Christians, being associated with the church, being associated with Christendom and being associated with the teachings of the Bible, being associated with all these other things that we might be afraid of or scared of or the things that we might even dislike. Do not let these things outweigh the fact that we were once blind, but now we see. We were once dead, but now we have life. We were once in sin, but now we have been forgiven. Friends, don't ever lose sight of this truth. Jesus saved us from our sins. He is the light of the world. He has descended upon our lowly state, and he gives us life. Let us now come professing belief and bowing down in worship. Let's pray.